Hello and welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions based on what you've left for me in the comment section of my Q&A videos or have sent to me by email at askchrisshelton at gmail.com. Uh, okay, a couple updates as I uh, want to do uh, on my Q&A shows here. Uh, a lot of exciting things happening in Shelton world these days. Super busy. Um, season 3 of Leah Remini's Scientology in the Aftermath is in pre-pre-pre-production and uh, uh, things are rolling forward on that. We are really looking forward to seeing what's going to happen with that. Um, I am, let's see, in a week... <laughs> Avengers Infinity War comes out. So I decided to celebrate by changing my back, back top, uh, desktop background. Uh, and more importantly, in three weeks from today, the day I'm recording this on Saturday, I am getting married. <laughs> so things have been a little crazy around here. Uh, getting ready for that, in addition to keeping my production schedule going and everything else that I do in my life. So uh, anyway, things have been a little hectic, a little bit crazy. Yesterday we had our first dance lesson. Um, we we're doing a series of dance lessons because I don't know anything about dancing uh, at all. I mean, you know, ooh. Uh, so <laughs> I've never had any formal dancing lessons of any kind. And I don't want to look like a complete idiot uh, when we do that. So anyway, we've been kind of having some fun with it. With, uh, we, we finally got that going and it was easier than I thought it would be to do the simple stuff that we're going to be doing. So, um, so that's kind of fun. Anyway, I just thought you guys might appreciate a little bit of window into what's going on sort of behind the scenes before I answer some of your questions. Um, I posted a podcast, um, as I'm saying this here, I was posting this on Sunday, so it was yesterday I posted the, the podcast, a conversation between myself and a, a friend of mine who is a pro-gun advocate. Uh, I would ask that, you know, if you're at all interested in that subject, you check it out. Uh, we actually happen to have a rational discussion on the subject. I uh, don't know that we really came to any firm conclusions about anything, but at least we didn't block each other at the end of the conversation and unfriend one another. And I thought that might, you know, uh, be something of, of interest to, to folks out there. Um, and let's see, the series that I'm doing on mental illness in Scientology uh, will be taking a break this week. The third part of that is coming, but it won't be coming for another two weeks because Sunny, the woman that I am doing that video series with, needs to take this week off. So we're planning on doing it in two weeks and that'll wrap up that little series, which is basically a response to Scientology's efforts on Scientology TV and in their media right now to try to push an anti-psychiatry agenda or narrative or, or, or message out there with which they do gain some allies because psychiatry has definitely got its issues and problems. And so they prey on people who think the same way and, you know, and think that they can find common ground with Scientology on an anti-psychiatry message. But that video series that I'm doing on mental illness in Scientology clearly shows that Scientology is the last place you want to turn to for help when it comes to mental disorders or, or any kind of assistance at all with mental health issues. So I'm very much encouraging that people share that series. It's on a playlist on my channel as well as the individual videos in that series. Um, please do share those around the interwebs um, because I think the more that that message gets out there, the more it will counter the nonsense that Scientology is putting out. So, all that being said, let's go ahead and get on with your questions now. Brittany Gatchel, 
I'm a therapist for individuals who have experienced adult sexual assault or child sexual abuse and have worked with clients from Bible-based cults. Say I were to work with a former Scientologist. What are some things that would be helpful to know in working with former members? What are the top three things that you believe are the most difficult for Scientologists coming out of the organization? Boy, there are so many issues and points to cover on something like this. I don't know that I can really just narrow it down to three things or the top three things. Of course, also, this is very, very subjective because my answer is going to be based completely on my own experiences and other people might have, you know, other issues that they're going to flare up or come up with them. Um, I would say uh, to somebody newly coming out uh, of the subject that... Um, or, or seeking therapy or help with it, that it's one, really great that they are seeking any counseling or therapy or help. And one of the things you'll need to overcome is the anti-psychiatry message that L. Ron Hubbard preaches. And the, the, you know, they'll be very tentative, very fearful, very cautious or careful about anything having to do with psychology or psychiatry. So that should be addressed actually head on. And any false information or um, out-of-date narratives that Hubbard pushes about psychiatry should definitely be addressed so that uh, the person, the, the former Scientologist, has a chance to air all of their fears and anxieties and, and, and issues with, uh, with anything other than Scientology counseling because that's the only model that they've had. And they'll also need to be educated a bit on the differences between what psychologists actually do versus what Scientology does in its auditing, because Scientology auditing, as, I, as Sunny and I discussed actually in our, in our last video, is it's only a dim analogy of, of, of counseling, calling Scientology auditing counseling or calling it you know, the same as or similar to psychological counseling is, is, is really technically a pretty big misnomer. Uh, we only use that analogy because it's the only thing that kind of immediately communicates the idea of a therapist and a patient and there's a relationship there and there's questions being asked and answers being given. So, uh, you know, so there's, there's a rough analogy to be drawn, but there are so many differences. That would be something I think that should be tackled as part of that. Um, the idea of what is a, a, uh, a cult, cultic thinking, uh, abusive relationships, narcissistic relationships, what is narcissism? I mean, these kinds of things is another whole thing that should probably be entered on in terms of uh, educating the person on what they have experienced as a Scientologist, of course, depending on how long they were involved. The longer they were involved, the more deeply they're going to be in a kind of a semi-narcissistic mindset, I think. Uh, Scientology sort of creates that in people. Um, so coming to an awareness of what that's all about, that, that they are not the center of the universe, uh, is a thing, you know, uh, that, the, that the relative importance of themselves compared to the rest of the world, that they're no longer in a position where they feel like they're going to, or they should get into a place where, they're, where they feel like they don't need to think they're saving the world anymore, you know, kind of taking, stripping some of that away also. Scientology is really big on that. There's a lot of messages in Scientology about its importance, uh, how it's a deadly serious activity, live or die in the attempt, um, you know, we'd rather have you dead than incapable as a Scientologist. I mean, these are phrases Hubbard uses in his, in his key policies and issues. And Scientologists need to be, former Scientologists need to be gotten over the idea that they are somehow unique and special and elite and different and better than everybody else. That's a process. Maybe addressing some of the ideas uh, surrounding that without, 
obviously, you know, I, I mean, I can't tell a therapist how to do their job. I'm not a therapist. So obviously all of this would be done in such a manner that, you know, would, would fit the person you're talking to. I'm just sort of trying to talk in, in, in vague terms, of not vague, but general issues that I think should be addressed for somebody newly coming out. I'm trying to think of when I first came out and where my mind was at, where my head was at. Critical thinking is really important and getting across the ideas of critical thinking and, and the ability to question anything, questioning authority, uh, questioning rules and guidelines and regulations because that's not acceptable in Scientology. You follow the rules or you are history. Um, that's really important. So, you know, kind of learning or gaining independence of thought and, and action, you know, these are really important steps and, and, a, and a, a, like a cognizant realization that the person is taking these steps I think is important. Uh, so they, they can kind of gain some, um, some of their own power back, you know, and their own self-confidence. Uh, I, my experience as a Sea Org member, of course, was pretty intense not necessarily the same as your run-of-the-mill public Scientologist or even a staff member. Uh, sea Org is kind of its own level of, of mind screwery. So, um, so maybe I'm talking too much about some of this stuff in terms of former Sea Org. I couldn't really say, like I said, this is only from my own experience. Um, so yeah, so addressing the false information, addressing critical thinking and reasoning and the fact that there's multiple sources of, of true information out there, not just one single source. There's multiple ways of getting things done, not just one way, Hubbard's way or the highway, you know, kind of getting a person into this kind of mindset. And then of course, finally addressing assimilating back into the real world, you know, how to communicate with people. Uh, you know, rationally and normally and not assertively or in a fashion where, you know, I'm right, you're wrong, this is the way it is sort of thing. You know, Scientologists can be a little, can come on a bit strong uh, because they are indoctrinated to, to do that. And they, they feel, as Scientologists, that they are uh, the elite of the elite, you know, the upper 10% of the upper 10% of, of, of planet Earth human beings. Um, so, so maybe that's addressed a little bit in some of that narcissism I was talking about earlier, but, but the reassimilation re process is, is really important, you know, and also, um, and this also goes along with the critical thinking thing is, is, uh, you know, that it's okay to question anything, you know, that sort of thing, maybe questioning some of the beliefs that they were, uh, given in Scientology, what were those beliefs? How did you interpret them? What did you think Hubbard meant by these things? And how do you see that now? And as and as they compare and contrast the Scientology beliefs with you know things that, that they're encountering in the in the real world, and being willing to look at critical information about Scientology that's an important step also. Um, and it might be a step that's going to take people a long time to get to. Not everybody is eager to jump on the internet and learn all about Xenu. Uh, and that, I don't think that should be necessarily forced on somebody's throat, but it should be encouraged. And, it, and I think that's a path the person's eventually going to need to take in order to totally strip off, you know, the, the, the layers of, of bullshit that they've been uh, fed. We make analogies in uh, the ex-Scientology ex -Scientology community about how it's like uh, layers of an onion that come off, you know, a layer at a time. You know, you gradually you take off one and then there's a whole nother layer and you take that off and then there's a whole nother layer of Scientology indoctrination. 
You know, so there's a lot of different things in Scientology people can be indoctrinated into. There's so much information. So there's not like a checklist you'd follow. Okay, now we're going to do that. Now we're going to do this because it's individual for each person. What the what appeals to one person about Scientology and gets them going down this path might be totally different from, you know, Bill over here, from Joe here who got into Scientology for a whole different reason and so his path was different from Joe from Bill and Joe, and uh, and so they might have a whole different set of courses they've done, different things they've addressed in their auditing. So it's not like there's some universal checklist of things you can you can do to, you know, uh, to tick off all the points and now you're done and now Scientology is no longer you know in this person's head. You gotta you gotta deal with the person in front of you. So. I don't know. I hope that's helpful and and uh, somewhat uh, you know interesting, illuminating for people as to what sort of things I think might be uh, important about that. Um, and uh, and and I I can't stress enough the importance of therapists learning about what destructive cults actually are. If you if you haven't read Lifton, if you haven't read Yanya Lalich or Steve Hassan or Singer or or these works. You just don't know what you're doing when it comes to dealing with ex-cult members. Uh, I just don't know any other more blunt way to say it, but it's just true, you know. And you don't want to spend valuable therapy time having your patient have to educate you on what these destructive cults are all about and how they operate. It's really, it's really, really incumbent upon you to learn about that stuff. I'm not saying, you know, you, the person who asked me this question, are ignorant of this. I'm not saying that at all. I'm broadly answering this question by saying anybody who's watching this who has, you know, a therapeutic background or, or practice, um, that's my, that is the single best piece of advice I can give you as a therapist in dealing with ex-cult members. Because if you have a good grounding in how these groups operate and what the, what the points of control are and undue influence and how they hit these things, then you'll be able to address almost anybody in any destructive cult of uh, former members. So there you go. Bob Smith. I've been thinking about what's next after all orgs have been turned into ideal orgs. Miscavige has to be thinking ahead about what his next fundraising scheme will be. I can think of several potential schemes he could be planning, but thought it would be a good brainstorming exercise to consider some options. Could he be planning A, a second round perhaps to create all super ideal orgs with bigger buildings or expanded slash improved space? B, a bigger slash better cruise ship? C, new facilities for delivery of OT9 and 10? D, perhaps a Hubbard University requiring a campus of buildings and acres of real estate? Any opinions or ideas? Are there any hints out there about what might be next? It's an interesting question, Bob. I know you asked this some time ago. Uh, I've been dredging up a few questions from long ago in my queue and trying to address them. Um, we saw efforts being uh, made after the Superpower Building opened in Clearwater to get fundraising going for the Ruth Eckert Hall uh, that they wanted to purchase and make into a Scientology events facility in Clearwater. That is probably still going to some degree, but I haven't seen any promo leak out of the church in a long time about that. I think it sort of got derailed uh, because they went all in on the Scientology Media Productions facility and fundraising for that went full steam. And now that that's opened, I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing things about that L. Ron Hubbard event center there in Clearwater. Um, but I don't know, maybe they don't have that property anymore. I'm, I'm really not sure. Clearwater is not my... 
uh, forte or, or in my bailiwick, really. Uh, I, I love using that because I hardly ever get to say that. Uh, but um, so I don't know what exactly the plans are. They've clearly been purchasing up property in Clearwater uh, or trying to. I know that there was a news story from uh, Tracy McManus just the other day about how they tried to get hold of this uh, lot again or this parking lot or this plot of property that they wanted and they were rejected again by the city. So, um, so Scientology is not doing really good right now in that area. They, uh, and it's really just on them because they're creepy and they're weird and they act creepy and they act weird. And when they don't get their way, they pick up all their toys and go home and, and pout and, and point the finger at the city and, and at the people in the city and make them all wrong rather than try to really honestly, truly work with them. You know, Scientology has an agenda and then they, they're not interested in anybody who isn't forwarding their own agenda. Um, the ideas you listed out were actually pretty good ideas. I, in terms of property or real estate, you know, maybe a Hubbard University or something like that might be something they would do. If they were, I think they would end up doing like a business academy uh, through their WISE, their World Institute of Scientology Enterprises, a business consulting arm of Scientology. I think they would be big on trying to get something like that going, an ideal WISE Academy because the, the WISE Academy is the training facility for business people, businessmen, uh, who they wrangle in in order to learn Hubbard's management systems and techniques. And if you've been watching my series on the, on the data series uh, and my videos on that recently, you know what a farce Hubbard's business acumen and, and logic is. But you know, they, it's an easy sell. It's not hard to sell people who are struggling with their businesses, especially the small businesses, uh, on some consulting technique you have and how great it is, right? So you could, you could go in on that avenue and create a big campus and really be very impressive and business people would be blown away by it. And that, that is something Scientology could do, but I never heard anybody ever say anything about that within Scientology. So we're probably just giving them ideas right now. Uh, I think I think Hubbard or sorry Miscavige has ideas more in line with new services and releases he wants to do. Uh, there are a there's an array of of materials and books that still have to come out, services that still have to be released or re-released, and I think his attention is probably going to go on that because that's the sort of thing that's going to generate more money internally from existing membership. And the existing membership will also be very, very happy about these re-release services, such as the Key to Life course, the Life Orientation course, the Organization Executive course, the Administrative Training courses that are meant for Scientologists, not the business, the secularized version of that, but the church versions. That all needs to be released still within the church. And the St. Hill Special Briefing course, which has been shut down for years, that needs to be re-released. I think all the lectures have been put on CDs and, you know, as though that's glimmering, shiny, sparkly new technology. It's only 20 years old. So we'll see, uh, you know, what Miscavige has in mind on all of that. Um, you know, they could also release all of Hubbard's books and, uh, and lectures to the broad public through uh, digital. Uh, that would be a whole thing, you know, making them all into ebooks. Um, and uh, turning some of his lectures into downloadable MP3s or something, or putting them up on iTunes or something. Um, 
you know, that could be a thing they could do. I mean, they're being kind of bold right now with Scientology TV and putting themselves out there, so why not go all in? You know, that could be something. Uh, I don't know about going back around and doing super ideal orgs. Uh, you know, honestly, we'll see if Scientology is even around that long enough to get there. Because making all the existing organizations into ideal orgs is, I don't know that that's even halfway done yet. I mean, there's a, that, and they've been at it for years now. So, you know, it's not like they're accelerating in their, the, the pace with which they're doing that. So I don't know that Miscavige has the next big thing planned out. I don't think he thinks that far ahead, to be totally honest with you. So that's sort of my, some thoughts about that. I don't know if that totally satisfies, uh, but those are my immediate thoughts on it. Kristen Halloran. This is an overarching question about children and religion in general. Theoretically, I agree that children shouldn't be indoctrinated until they are adults and able to decide for themselves, but I cannot seem to figure out what that would look like concretely for any religion. So many religions permeate everyday life. Keeping that from children would be impossible. Also, what religion would voluntarily give up its child soldiers? This whole thing troubles me, especially having small children that will one day be exposed to other indoctrinated children. Thank you for all that you do. Yeah, this is a tough one. I could, I could answer this in some idealized, you know, very unrealistic answer of, you know, well, children should be, you know, given a survey of all religions or given ideas about, you know, how how religion is just sort of something that people believe and, you know, and we'll get to that later in your life and right now let's concentrate on the ABCs or something, but I know that's just, there's no way that's ever going to happen. People are so steeply steeped in their religion, I should say, that as parents they feel it's their moral duty and obligation to, t to pass it on to their kids. So rather than try to impose in some, the middle of that, which is just not going to happen, um, instead, what I think would be the best way for us to approach this on, an, on a more immediate level would be to, to really get the, the early years of schooling revamped a bit in terms of critical thinking skills and education. Um, this, is, this is just the, the fundamental of all good thinking and logic and reason is, is giving kids the ability to figure things out for themselves. Because then they'll, then they'll come to their own best decisions about things and they'll learn judgment earlier than they might be learning it now. Common Core, I think, is, is, is uh, people have to let me know about this in the comments who know more about this. I am not uh, pro or con on Common Core. I don't know enough about it. I've talked to teachers who, uh, who say it's, there's some good points to it. It tries to teach critical thinking. It tries to teach reasoning ability and more logical thinking. I've also heard people, mostly older people, who look at Common Core issues and just go, well, that doesn't make any sense to me. I wasn't taught that way, so therefore it must be wrong. Well, that's not necessarily true either, but I get the point. So I'm not sure about whether it's good or bad. My, the reason I bring it up is because I understand that Common Core is an attempt to teach basics, reading, writing, arithmetic, but do it in such a way that it gives the child the ability to figure things out better on his own. Uh, and that's the whole thrust or, or intention with Common Core. Um, maybe it's working, maybe it's not. I, I don't know. Like I said, people can let me know in the comments what you know about it. 
but I, I would um, want something like that. You know, to, if, if, not, if Common Core isn't doing the job, then we need to revamp it again. But somehow we need to get across to these kids at a very early age. I mean, right, right when they hit school and in a, in a progression all the way through to college um, on how to figure out problems themselves and how to think things through themselves and how to see consequences and unintended consequences of decisions uh, the decision-making process, right? Thinking in sequences and, and looking at where, you know, if I make this decision now, where's it going to go? If I have this belief right now, what would that lead to? What sort of action would that lead me to? What sort of consequences could exist or could happen because of those actions? Um, would such a belief get in the way of me learning new things? Or, uh, or would it stifle incoming knowledge? Uh, you know, if kids could see their way through that sort of thing, then they'll figure it out for themselves. I know this is all very tall order and, I'm, and, and perhaps just as unrealistic as, as the idea of just cutting religion out of kids' lives entirely, but I don't know. I don't think so. I think we could do something about this, and I think this would be a, a, the, the most uh, beneficial thing we could do for kids would be to somehow get that across to them. I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, a genius or, or uh, uh, trained in education particularly, other than, you know, the educating that I did when I was in Scientology, uh, where I was a classroom supervisor and, and taught people Hubbard's principles. But that did give me some grounding in how to get ideas from a book into somebody's head or across to somebody verbally. And, um, and I've tried to use those skills in my videos, and people have said I'm, I, I do a fairly decent job at that. So... Just based on that, um, I, I think that, you know, we could do better with our educational system, and I think we need to do better. And I think if, uh, it, whether it's homeschooling, whether it's public schooling, or whether it's private schooling, I don't care at what level or in what, you know, model it's being done, all of these need to get that, those, those critical thinking skills across. So, uh, anyway... Kicking a dead horse here. I'm sure I've made my point, so there you go. Hans Halter. Isn't it funny that though so many previous Scientologists have died, nearly no conscious Thetans have ever reappeared? I know a minute number of persons have tried to claim being a former Scientologist, but nearly all were turned down by the Church. Even Thetans of Sea Org members, who have sworn to work for countless lives, all seem to vanish instead of turning up at Flag or the next org. Are such questions never asked by Scientologists? It's an interesting take on this, Hans, um, because I don't have that view that you do, that they're all rejected. I knew a lot of people when I was in the Sea Org in Scientology who claimed to be past life Scientologists and that they had come back, including moi. Uh, when I went clear, I thought that I had been, you know, through the process of the auditing on the clear certainty rundown, which is an action the church does in order to verify that you actually are clear. Um, when I did that step in uh, 91 or 93 or whenever it was, I, 93, um, I recalled that I had been clear in my last life and that I was a past life Scientologist and maybe even a past life Sea Org member. Uh, nobody rejected me or told me that that wasn't true or that I, that, you know, that that wasn't real. 
uh, Scientologists, in a, as a general rule, will never tell somebody that what they're recalling from a past life isn't true or is nonsense. Unless, you know, like this bozo who's running around right now saying he's L. Ron Hubbard, Scientologists are not going to fall for that. They are not, you know, they didn't... Uh, <laughs> They might let their brains leak out a little bit, but they're not empty-headed. I mean, they have some smarts, and they're not going to just, you know, fall for just any Joe Bill or Sally coming down the line saying they were L. Ron Hubbard or they were Mary Sue or something like that. Um, people within the world of Scientology have made claims, not about being L. Ron Hubbard, but about being former Scientologists or, um, or connected to L. Ron Hubbard in some fashion. And uh, I don't know, I mean, if you are a former Sea Org member, you were connected to L. Ron Hubbard in some fashion. So it's not a fantastical sort of thing to, to make such a claim. Uh, what I find interesting about Scientology, uh, especially now that I'm out of it, and I, and I really have, have, have looked at this a bit more objectively, is how they will reject anyone who comes in claiming that they are now in touch with L. Ron Hubbard or with aliens or that they have had alien visitations or have seen UFOs. I mean, Scientologists believe in all that stuff on a theoretical level, but when it comes to actually dealing with somebody who comes in and says, yeah, I, I saw a UFO, I visited, you know, aliens visited me or something like that. Scientologists are kind of like, mm, you know, that suddenly, that suddenly they are, they're very skeptical, <laughs> right? So it's weird. It's a weird kind of, I don't know what the word is, dichotomy, uh, you know, opposites with that. Uh, but that's the kind of thing Scientologists will reject out of hand. Uh, past life Scientologist, past life Sea Org member, nah, they don't, they, they're not going to reject that. That's, at least that was my experience. Jeff Bradley. Chris, could you give us an idea what kind of work Sea Org members do? Not so much at Gold, but in, say, Phoenix, where I live. There's a beautiful building, but very little activity, outside at least. Hey Jeff, thanks. Yeah, um, I was just in Phoenix. I actually saw the building for the first time. It's big, big place. Um, sea Org members who are stationed at class five orgs, like the Phoenix Org, the city level churches, um, are called network personnel. And there are about four or five network postings that can occur at a, at, that can exist at a class five level. Uh, you have a flag representative who is a, the, all of them are, management representatives of some kind. The flag representative is the most direct management representative. They are there to get management's programs done in that local church. So management will issue a series of targets on a program. They're on paper, they're target one, target two, target three. And the flag rep takes the programs and goes around to the individual staff members and gets them to do their targets on the programs and gets them done. And by getting the programs done, they're supposed to be expanding the organization, making it bigger, hiring new staff, making more money, and, uh, and generally being more successful. That's the whole point with the programs. Scientology, the way Scientology operates is it, is it f floods programs down on these orgs that only have three to ten staff members, overwhelms them with quotas of, of, of money to make and income demands, as well as getting these other programs done, and a lot of the targets on the programs tend to be very admin-oriented, busy work, paperwork sort of things, rather than just doing the business of getting on with, 
with running an organization. So, so that's that's sort of the the you know many many of the faults in that system. But the but the management representative on the ground there is the flag representative, and he's there to get those done. Uh, there's a flag banking officer whose job it is to basically run the finances of the org. Not um, he, he, in a way, the FBO or the flag banking officer will push income demand, but his job is more really when the income comes in, where does it go? What do you do with it? He allocates a certain amount to the organization and he sends the rest up to management. Various percentages of, of the income are broken down and sent off. The FBO is the one who does that. There is an FBO, there's a, there's a deputy FBO for the marketing of org resources and exchange. There are the, there are the the DFBO more <laughs> uh, is the shortened version of the deputy flag banking officer for marketing of org resources uh, and exchange. And his job is basically a promotional job and a, and a marketing job. He, he's the one who sees to it that the org gets its promotional materials out, that billboards, flyers, you know, magazine ads, anything that the local church is doing in the local area to promote Scientology and get people in, that's under his purview, or bailiwick. Uh, you have an estates manager. The estates manager's job is to upkeep the building, uh, keep the estates managed, right? He sees to it that any repairs that need to be done get done, that the building is kept clean, operational, and, and running efficiently. That's the whole job of the estates manager. Uh, let's see, then there is uh, an LRH communicator. Now this is sometimes a Sea Org member and sometimes not. It's gone back and forth over the years. Uh, I think right now it's still in the phase where it's Sea Org members only, but I, you know I've seen it both ways many, many times. The LRH communicator's job is to get L. Ron Hubbard's intention uh, executed in the organization through his policies and his bulletins. So the LRH comm is there to enforce standard application of L. Ron Hubbard's policies and bulletins. Uh, they sort of oversee everything, make sure the tech is being delivered correctly, make sure the, the managers, the executives of the church are running things according to the way L. Ron Hubbard says they're supposed to be run. And obviously this assumes a knowledge on the part of the LRH communicator of what the policy says and what the text says. So they're supposed to be, you know, well, well trained on both of those things. The LRH communicator also gets tons of orders and direction on um, making sure that LRH's image uh, is good in the organization, that he's got an office there, that it's kept clean, that it's kept, you know, kept up on all the things that are supposed to be in it. Um, that kind of thing, and also establishment. There's an establishment function the LRHCOM has uh, to see to it that the organization is building itself. So they kind of oversee personnel and I guess what you would call HR functions. Uh, the LRHCOM sort of oversees all of that. So those are the ones I remember off the top of my head. Maybe there's one other one I'm not thinking of, but generally those are the Sea Org postings at the local churches, and I, I hope that gives you some idea of what they're doing. By the way, most of the time, all of these are not filled. Maybe one or two of these are filled at a time. Very rarely have I seen all of them filled by Sea Org members at, uh, at the org level. So, uh, so you might or might not see these people at any church that you happen to visit. And it is time for Flash Answers. 
Keep it real Cam. I'm confused about thetans. You rid yourself of them and don't want them back, but you're trying to reach operating thetan levels. Where do these things go when you rid yourself of them? If they can jump on you, as the leader says, and is afraid of that, why become one? Okay, I could spend a long time talking about this, but basically you are a thetan. It's not something you become, it's something you already are. An operating thetan, or an OT, is a high-level uh, Scientologist who's gone through a bunch of this, uh, these auditing levels. And when they go up to the OT levels, they are stripping themselves of what are called body thetans, not operating thetans. An operating thetan is somebody who has stripped themselves of all of the body thetans. That's what those OT levels are all about. So, and the body thetans, when they are ejected or take off from the, from the clusters that they're, that they're in, they go off and get, a, to get their own body and, and grow it and become Scientologists, uh, theoretically, or at least go on and live a life just like you as a thetan are now leading. When they're body thetans and they're unconscious or sleeping or comatose, they're not capable of self-starting themselves and leading their own lives. That's the whole point of going up the OT levels, is you're freeing these body thetans so they are rehabilitated to be, potentially, go off and become operating thetans. That's, that's the whole thing in a simplicity. I hope that makes sense. Matt Kordelsky. A 1996 British documentary, The S-Files, displayed one of LRH's book covers and says that is what an engram is supposed to look like. Is that really what Scientology says an engram looks like? That is what the emitter is zapping off of parishioners? It looks like one of the nightmare characters from the climax of The Shining. No, Matt, that was a gross misunderstanding on the part of the documentarians who probably didn't ask a Scientologist what that co book cover actually meant. The old book cover, uh, which I'm showing on the screen here, uh, from the Creation of Human Ability, was uh, a, a, a graphic illustration of somebody going from an animal state to a human state. To, to, the Creation of Human Ability might have clued somebody in on this, that this is the title of the book. So the idea is that you're metamorphosizing a person from a primitive animalistic state to a higher state of being. And that is what that picture is supposed to represent, not an engram. That picture has nothing to do with engrams. Palmer, from your experience in the Sea Org and on staff, what do you estimate are the gender percentages these days? From old photos and stories from exes, it seems that Hubbard promoted a lot of women to senior levels, particularly for the Times. Today's promotional materials seem to feature a more even split of genders. Do you think the percentages have changed since Hubbard's death, and if so, why? Are there fewer women joining staff of the Sea Org now? No, I've said before that gender is really a non-issue in Scientology, and I'll just reiterate that here. No one in Scientology cares, especially in the Sea Org, which you're talking about, because you're talking about people in administrative positions or on staff, in the st staff members and Sea Org members, same, same. No one cares if you're a man or a woman. What they care about are your qualifications for the job that you're being given. And executive positions require a person who has a good moral, ethical background, according to Scientology standards, can't have been a person who was sleeping around a lot, can't be a person who's, you know, spread STDs or something like that. I mean, that's, when I mean sleeping around, I mean sleeping around. 
can't have any of that, can't have extensive drug use, the IQ, you know, education, this kind of thing. There's a whole list of executive qualifications and th those qualifications are for staff and for Sea Org. And it just so happens that uh, when it comes to meeting those qualifications, more women make the grade than men. Just how it is. Uh, and so, um, so that's the basis on which these people are getting these positions, not based on their gender. No one, no one cares. In Scientology, you are not your body. And whether you have a man body or a woman body, it, it, you know, no one's looking at that. Okay, everybody, that is our show for this week. I hope uh, that this was entertaining, informative, and educational. Um, if you are enjoying my shows and what I'm doing here, please consider joining up on Patreon. Um, you know, some of my content is a little controversial and pisses some people off. I've actually lost a couple patrons because of that. Shrug, move on, you know. Um, but I would really appreciate any support you guys can give to what I'm doing here because uh, you guys are the ones who actually keep this channel going. And I mean that for real. I could not do any of this if it wasn't for you. Uh, so I really, really appreciate the support that I am getting from my current Patreons. And, uh, and if I could get more, that would make my job and my life even easier. Uh, believe me, I, yeah, there's so many things I would like to do that I just don't have the resources to do it. Uh, there's places I'd like to visit and, and bring you guys along with me, for example. Anyway, uh, I won't get into a long spiel here. It's the end of the show. Most people probably aren't even watching this. But uh, if you are, give me, a, give me a shout out on that if you can. I will talk to you guys soon. Bye-bye.